It, it, it was the triumphal entry where, where they laid the palms on the ground and, and laid out the red carpet for Jesus to come in riding on the donkey, fulfilling all of the prophecies, hailing Him, Hosanna, in the highest. And just a few days later, crucify Him. The disciples saw their hopes and their dreams and, and, and the love that they had for Jesus. They gave up everything that they had to follow him. And they followed him right to the cross of Calvary. And when they got to the cross, as Jesus was being ridiculed, mocked, spit upon, his beard plucked, a crown of thorns upon his head, they, they whipped him and beat him to a bloody pulp where his flesh was so torn, he was unrecognizable physically nailed to a tree imagine what those disciples were feeling as they run and hid scared for their own lives if they did this to jesus what could they be susceptible to imagine what they must have felt they abandoned and turned their back on their lord that was the regular disciples imagine what peter felt imagine peter rambunctious action-packed Peter. And he denied him three times. Said he would never do it, and yet he did it. Imagine how low could he have felt. Now they're all hiding. They're feeling broken, disheartened, lost, grieving the loss of a friend whom they betrayed. Do you think they felt worthy? So he died, and three days later, he appears to marry. How do you think they were feeling before they saw him? Check out this video. Hallelujah. What they thought was the end 
was only the beginning. And oftentimes, I don't know about you and I don't know about the lies that the adversary may have whispered into your ear in regards to condemnation, in regards to falling short, in regards to thoughts that you think that you ought not to think, things that you do that you ought not to do, feelings that you feel that you know are wrong and yet are there. How can he use you? Remember we discussed What's it to you? What's it to you? We're going to pick up this morning in the gospel according to John, the 20th verse. Now Jesus has resurrected from the grave. He appeared himself to Mary. And the first evangelist to carry the message of the gospel. And it was a woman. He was already breaking it. Huh? For the Jewish people, you, you got to understand that a woman almost didn't even have a voice in leadership. Why would they listen to a woman? But Jesus did things that contradicted and went against the normal of society. Verse, I'm going to read from verse 19 to 23. Then the same day at evening... The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you give us wisdom, that you open up your word, O oh God, unto us. Make it plain and make it clear so that we can understand and grow, Lord God. As deep cries out unto deep, O oh Father, we, we, we seek to know you more intimately. We, we, we seek to serve you more effectively, more efficiently, Lord. We ask, O oh God, for your will to be done in and through our lives. We ask this now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I'm interested in knowing at this critical and crucial moment when he appears to his disciples for the first time, what does Jesus say and what does he do? What does he say and what does he do? The first thing I want to point out in verse 19 is, what, the, what day was this? Huh? Sunday. Why, why was it? First day of the week. It was on a Sunday. This is the first mention in the biblical account as an assembly on the first day. We later see in the book of Acts that then they became and they made it a routine that the believers would gather on the first day of the week. That's why traditionally we meet on Sunday. 
Was Sunday actually the Sabbath day for the Jews? No. What was it? It was Saturday. That was the day of rest. But now that the Lord resurrected on the first day of the week, we have an assembly that's taking place on the first day of the week. And that assembly would then continue throughout the course of history. Now, the fact of the matter is that God wants us to enter into his rest. The whole purpose of the Sabbath is to enter into his rest. On the seventh day, the Lord rested. And so we would work and we would apply ourselves six days a week and we would take one day to rest and to remember. And this, was supposed, this is supposed to be an everlasting covenant. This wasn't supposed to stop. But the fact of the matter is that because of what Christ did, we not only enter his rest on the Sabbath day, we are able to enter his rest on the first day. We're able to enter into his rest the second day and the third day of the week. In fact, every single day of the week, you and I have an opportunity to walk in his rest. And we're going to show that and we're going to see that as this develops. The second thing I want to point out in regards to this text is the fact that the doors were shut. They closed the doors. The doors were shut. So Jesus had a body, but it wasn't like our body. He had a figure, but it was transfigured. They, they were able to see him, but immediately they did not recognize him. And so it was him, but it was a different kind of him. Why is this important? In his glorified body, he was able to do things that you and I are limited in. Huh? He was able to basically almost walk through walls. The doors were shut, and yet while they were shut and they were afraid, he was there in the midst and appeared. How did he walk in? Huh? Why was it that Mary, when they saw him and Jesus spoke to her, it took a second to see that it was then the Lord? You see a body being bloodied and beat to a pulp beyond recognition and three days later you see it not only healed but glorified huh and this is his promise unto us this is his promise unto us so jesus's physical nature changed but it didn't we need to understand that there is a mystery behind this because for you and I, we're, we're, we're so, come on, James, you just fought a fight in the hospital. We've got physical limitations. Yet he did not. And we will not when our bodies are glorified. Because you and I will have bodies. The body of the flesh is corruptible. Goes back to the maggots and to the worms. Huh? The soul continues. And after judgment, it says that we too will also be glorified in Christ. There is a hope for us that the world does not have. And so because of their circumstance and because of their situation, it says that they were assembled because they were afraid. Because of fear. You know, the Greek word for fear is um, phobos. Phobos, where you would get phobia, arachnophobia. I'm scared of 
spiders, any type of phobia, you know, maritable phobia. I'm, I'm scared to get married. <laughs> you could basically add anything you want to phobia, and it's the fear of. So this phobos, this fear, in the classical Greek, the original word really meant to take flight. How does that apply? To take flight. Come on, what was that? Woo! So what is it? It later denoted the things that caused the flight. What are the things that cause us to run? What are the things that, that we become so afraid that we retract rather than engage? The fear that sets in. That's the thing that causes us to flight. So the thing that causes us to flight was the thing that was known as the phobia. Hence fear, terror, and dread. And I got to tell you, family, my personal experience has always been that it's been in my moments of greatest of fear that Jesus has been the clearest. It is in the moment that we no longer have a control over a certain situation or circumstance that fear grips our hearts. That's the thing that drives us closer to the cross. God, I can't. I'm at, the, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of myself, oh Lord. And it's when we come to the end of ourselves that we finally find the place that we can surrender and let go and let God. Huh? So that fear causes a situation, becomes a catalyst, if you will. When I am afraid, I will trust in you how many times does the bible say fear not and be not dismayed his name is a strong tower and those are safe who run to it so it's in the moments of our fears that we've got to remember that there is power in the name of jesus so what does he say what does he say to him What's the first word? Peace be with you. Why do you think that was so important? Why do you think he had to settle that score first? Well, he's coming out of the grave. He's popping up and just showing. He'd scare the bejesus just about of anybody that was in that room. Huh? But what, what were the things that the, the, that the disciples did? Put yourself in their position. If you just betrayed your friend and saw him take it to the grave, and ran and hid and, and slithered away, and now all of a sudden he's in the room. What? How, do, how was Peter feeling? My God, I denied you three times. I said I wouldn't do it. You said I was going to do it, and I wound up doing it. And I'm so sorry, Lord. God, peace be with you. And yet, the peace that he offers is himself. Remember, he's the Shah, Shalom. He is the Prince of Peace. And so he offers himself up as their peace. The second chapter in the book of Ephesians speaks about what the peace that God brings, the reconciliation 
It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity huh and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near for through him we both have access by one spirit to the father huh the ones that were close to Christ and the ones that were furthest away from him the two have become one in his spirit he doesn't differentiate. He doesn't give preferences. If he did it for you, I know he could do it for me. Because he is no respecters of persons. The penalty of judgment, right? Wages of sin is what? So then the wages of, of the judgment, which is the wrath of God, is turned away from us since Jesus himself became our peace. Jesus took the penalty of our sin, the wrath of God. It says that cup was poured out and Jesus was smitten under the hand of God. See, he didn't just shed his blood so that we would be found sinless. He also took the beating and was smitten under God's hand as the judgment for our sin. He took the penalty. He took the penalty. So there are five, five, five factors that I want to point out this morning in regards to the peace that Jesus provides. The first one is that he gives us and brings us peace between us and himself. They did him wrong. And the first thing out of his mouth is peace. Peace between us. No hard feelings. For this purpose is why I came, he declares. So the first peace that he brings is peace between us and him. No hard feelings. The second, the second peace that he brings us is between us and God the Father. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.18 states. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So now we have peace, not only with Jesus, but we have peace with God the Father. Reconciling the world to himself. So now we who were lost, now are found in him. 
We have been reconciled to the Father. We have peace now with the Father. And He calls us out to become then what? Ministers of reconciliation. We carry the Word. We can bring that enmity and do away with it and bring people into right relationship with God. That's the message of the Gospel. He brings peace between us and others. Huh? Galatians 3.28 says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't matter how many degrees you got, doctor so-and-so, theological ba-ba-bop and blah-blah-bop and ba-ba-booey, it doesn't matter. We are all one, the same in Christ there is no race, there is no creed, there is no tongue of division. We are all one because he had called this out, salvation unto the nations. Not just the Jews. Not just the Jews. So God, Jesus brings peace amongst us. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. There is no greater love than this, than a man would lay down his life for his brother. So when we could turn around and begin to live for one another rather than living for ourselves, is there not peace amongst us? How can, you have, how can I possibly have any ought against you as my brother, as my sister? You could do something bad, but out of ignorance. I don't hold the account. Let it go. Let it go. Peace unto us. Even when people do us wrong, God, you're the one. Vengeance is yours. You handle it. That's between you and them. But between you and I, if somebody wronged me, God, I know you're going to right me. If somebody stole from me on the left, I know you're going to replace it on the right. Who am I putting my trust in? Man or God? So easy for us to lose focus and, and misappropriate the responsibility and the blame to where it belongs. Come on. Here's a big one. Number four. He brings peace between us and ourselves. Huh? He brings peace between us and ourselves. How sweet is it? Huh? Think about it. How sweet is it to be able to live a life with a clean conscience? Huh? With a clear heart. How can that be possible when we're so wretched? Listen to what Hebrews 9.14 states. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? No longer is my conscience dead. No longer do I have to live with the shame, the guilt, the remorse of all the things that I've sung and said. But my God, that you would deliver me from myself to bring peace unto me. Be able to lay down at night and put my bed onto the pillow and, and not have to worry about the things that I've done or people that I may have hurt. This morning I had a beautiful, we, uh, 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 we had a beautiful uh, situation where, you know, last week a brother may have said something and we were in jest, but the Holy Spirit convicted him throughout the course of the week that this morning he wanted to come 
and say and apologize. And there was no art or, 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 or disrespect taken or approved, but yet within his heart, the peace. It's not a matter of a walk of perfection. It's a walk of correction. God, that you would, that you would allow me to feel the conviction of your Holy Spirit to know when I messed up so that then I can make it right again and to be able to live a life of peace. I don't have to, I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore. Huh? That bad deal when I got over the things that I've done, people that I've hurt. My God, my conscience is clean and clear over that. I can live a life of deliverance and of peace within my soul, within your soul. How is your soul? Are you at peace with yourself? And then last but not least, he brings us peace between us and the world, the world system, even demonic beings. Huh? How are we affected? He brings us peace by giving us the authority to be able to speak those things that are not as, this, as this, though they are. He gives us peace within ourselves and against the world system because you know what? We don't have to be afraid any longer. We don't have to be oppressed, possessed. We have a victory inside of us that we can speak those things that are not. Speaking healing upon those that are sick and believing, oh God, for a complete restoration, regeneration, that every capillary, every vertebrae, every disc in alignment, oh God, in Jesus' name, strengthen it. Hallelujah. And be able to believe it and hold on to it and then see it take place. That builds faith. Hallelujah. Luke 2.14 says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, all of the earth, all of creation, not just the people in it, but all life and self within the earth. Peace. He gives us peace. So we know what he said. What did he do? What did he do? Verse 21 states that as the Father has sent me, I also sent you. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How did God send Jesus to the earth? What was Jesus to us then? Jesus sent... God sent them out, and he sent them out as what? As the light of the world. Jesus is light. In fact, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And it says then the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And in that moment of chaos, in that moment of darkness, God said, let there be light. His spoken word went forth and brought forth a light. And that word that was spoken is Jesus. Come on, wrap your head around that one. He, he sent them to be the light of the world. He sent them to be truth. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. He sent them to be the teacher. He sent them to be the mentor. 
They called him rabbi, master. He, he, he was sent to be an ambassador to bring forth reconciliation between us and God. Most importantly, he sent them as his son, his own very begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And so if that's how God sent Jesus into this world, Jesus now is sending us in the same format. You and I are to be his light. You and I are to be his ambassadors, his teachers, his mentors. Come on, you and I are called to be his truth. So as God sent Jesus out into the world, Jesus is now calling us and sending us into the world. Hallelujah. And in verse 22, he said that he breathed on them his Holy Spirit. It's amazing, but the allusion to Genesis 2-7, when he breathed into Adam's nostrils, his breath of life, it says that Adam became a living soul. But because of sin, the spirit man inside him became dormant and died because the wages of sin is death. And rather than being a spiritual man, he became a carnal man. How many of us live lives and rather than being spiritual, we're carnal. We're more affected with the physical things of this world than we are with the spiritual things of God. So now, how do we, how, how do we reconcile this? He breathed life. He breathed his Holy Spirit. Now, unsubsequent, I want to make a different, a, a, a distinction here. Because he breathed and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So at the moment in time when we are in our sin and we're separated and, and the spirit man is dormant inside, we're carnal creatures. We have a conscience. We know right or wrong, right? And we have a free will to do whichever one we want. And carnally, the spirit within us is dormant. And it's not until the moment in time that we can appropriate the blood of the Lamb for the forgiveness of our sins that would eradicate us and make us righteous before God that then the spirit man inside of us can come to life. That's the born-again experience. This is what Jesus explained to Nicodemus. And so now for the first time, his disciples are receiving life. The spirit man inside of them can wake up and rise up. And that's what happens for, to us when we come to the Lord and we make a commitment unto him that the spirit man inside of us can raise up and awaken. Unsubsequent, though, it's not related to the Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That then becomes the empowerment. So it's not the personal parakletos. It's not the person of the Holy Spirit. But it is the impersonal pneumas hegos. Hegos, holy. Pneumas of the spirit. He's saying that our spirit now before him has become holy. Whew. That my spirit, my spirit, the one that's been dormant, the one that's been laying around while I've done all of these crazy things and, and, and have been rebellious unto God, that spirit now because the sin has been eradicated and erased comes to life for the first time it's an awakening but that's just the beginning of it that's just the beginning of it 
He said that then they were supposed to what? Wait in the upper room. Oh, and we'll get to that in the weeks coming. We'll get to that to the weeks coming. But salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are two different things. Salvation is the start of it. Huh? Receiving a Holy Spirit within us of salvation is the start of it. But our pursuit of a baptism in the Holy Spirit is for the empowerment of being able to live lives holy and acceptable unto God. Without the baptism and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, how can we possibly live? We become a new creation. A new creation. See, the newness in, as far as us, it's not like rehabbing a house. Like when you remodel and going out and you gut out, you gut out the bathroom and take down the walls and you're left to the studs and then you rebuild and, and make new. That's, that's a restoration, right? But God says that he's not restoring us. He's renewing us. It's not like you going in and buying a used car at the lot and say, I got a new car. That ain't, that's not a new car. That thing got 65,000 miles on it. That's not a new car. Huh? What he's saying for us is that he makes us a new creation. You, you got that new car smell. Everything is brand spanking. You got to rip the plastic off of it. He calls us to be a new creation. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. They're done away. They've been, they've been gutted. Behold, all things become new. In the old nature, we are wretched. Huh? We're capable of some real wretched things. Just look around the world. Look, look, at what we're, look at the evil that we're capable of. But in the New Testament, we have a new nature. It is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit inside our lives that separates us, transforms us. People look at us like we're weird. Well, I mean, maybe there's a little truth to that. But, but, call me a Jesus freak any day of the week. Huh? I love the Lord. He's done something inside of me that changed me from the inside out. I don't have to struggle anymore trying to do and be. I just breathe him in and let him be in me. Come on. We fall short. We we it's not it's not about it's not about our holiness, it's about his holiness and, and, and the availability of that holiness when we fall short. The empowerment of the spirit where where in our carnal nature, you know, that line comes kind of easy for us. Huh? The the ability of uh, of Doing sin is, is, is easy. We don't, even, we don't even think about it. But, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these things don't come natural. And when, they, and when we try to apply them in our lives, we can, we can do it for a season. We can do it for... But you spend enough time around somebody that's a little abrasive, it's only a matter of time to... It comes out inside. The power, the gifting of the Holy Spirit to be able to live out and so that people can see the fruit of our lives. 
And in verse 23, as we conclude this message this morning, here's a truth that we need to know. Verse 23 can sometimes be a little complicated because it says, you know, um, the, forg- the sins that you forgive, they shall be forgiven, and, but, but, but the sin that you retain, they shall, they shall be retained. And, and, and that's a lot, and that's heavy, and what does that mean? Do you realize that by preaching salvation, the disciples are also exposing the way of damnation? Huh? By preaching salvation, they are exposing the way to damnation. Because it's one or the other. God says, before you I place life and death, and I plead with you, please, choose life. But the choice is yours. And as we preach and minister the gospel, the hearers have an opportunity to respond. Whether or not their sins are forgiven falls upon them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever shall believe unto him shall not perish, but gain everlasting life. He loved the world, but it's only those that have believed unto him that will not perish. There are many people that hear the gospel and like the rich young ruler will walk away from the Lord sad and miss the opportunity. That's why I want to plead with you this morning, church. Don't, don't, don't miss out on the opportunity. The Lord is here. He's more alive today than he has ever been. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Just because we cannot see Jesus as he said on the right hand of the Father doesn't mean that we cannot receive him living inside us through his Holy Spirit. And that is his purpose. And that is his plan. And family... The fact of the matter is that that's why we're here today. To preach his truth. To make it plain and clear. To be able to receive him and live a life. A life empowered by his spirit. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Hallelujah. Lord, Father God, this is a holy moment and this is a special time. And I just want to take an opportunity, Lord, to slow down. And give opportunity for reason, Lord, right now. If there is anyone who really feels a, a, a need to make a declaration, a need to receive. If you want to be breathed on the breath of life, your Holy Spirit, wake up inside of you. I pray right now. Just raise your hand and let me see it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Thank you. See that hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See that hand. Praise you, God. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the work that you've done. And I just pray, Lord, that as we leave this place and walk away from one another, that, Lord, your presence and your spirit will keep us connected, tethered, oh, Lord. We are your body. We're broken and fragile, Lord, oh, Father God, but you call us your bride. So I just ask right now, Lord God, that you would manifest yourself to those who raised your hand. That you would transform and renew 
that you would speak and make yourself ever so real, oh Lord. Guide our steps. Oh Lord, right our wrongs, bad decisions, things that we shouldn't have done but we did and don't know how to get out of. I just pray right now, oh God, that you make a way where there seems to be no way. And save our souls. Awaken the spirit man inside of us, I pray. And I just ask, Lord God, we as a church, that you would use us, Lord. Each and every individual that is here this morning, oh God, I pray that these words would have illuminated, grown, oh Father God, spiritual maturity. I pray right now, Father, that your word shall go forth and not return unto you void, but it accomplish everything, oh Father God, for which you sent it. Have your way in our hearts and in our souls, oh God. Increase our territory. Bless this work. I pray, Father, that we can reach this city in the dunamis power of your Holy Spirit. Life transformation. God, let it be the signal, the very definition of who we are. In and through Jesus' name, we pray. Family, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, family. I'm a man of the people. I'm a man of the people.